Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us uh, today. We have a documentarian, a filmmaker, a producer, a director. Nadine Pequeniza is here today to talk about her new film and probably a few other films, but her new film today, uh, most importantly, Next of Kin. Nadine, thanks for joining me today. 
Hi, David. Thanks very much for having me on the show. So we clearly have lots, uh, lots to talk about. Um, I, 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 first of all, right out of the gate, congratulations on the film. Thank and you. let's Thank just you. a quick shout out. Uh, uh, CBC Docs POV uh, is where people can find this for the next uh, few years at least, and uh, and and it's download. It's free, right? I mean, it's free. They can stream it online for so free. So basically, you just you so need ha- a bit of popcorn and a soft drink, and you're set. You're set for a good forty-five minutes. Fantastic. So tell you what, uh, Nadine, why don't you set a little bit of context for us? Um, before we, you know, before before we dive in, just he's sort of, and I guess it's the kind of, I guess it's the kind of story because it's a, it's a very, um, I mean, uh, you must have felt a little bit like Sherlock Holmes at a few points in this film. Definitely, definitely, we were following the stories for quite some time before we actually got anywhere. So, but let me back up and just introduce the idea of the film. So, Next of Kin is a documentary about young people who are aging out of the system. So they've either been in youth shelters, um, some of them have been in foster care, but essentially they don't have strong connections with family. And so when they turn 19, a lot of the supports that they've been relying on for many years disappear. And so there's a program at a nonprofit in St. Catharines called RAFT, and that program tries to connect those youth with family members. So the detective aspect of the of the work that they do that you're speaking of is about trying to locate people that the teenagers have often been out of touch with for many, many years, um, sometimes from the time they were one or two years old. And so there is a lot of detective work that goes into trying to track down those family members. And the ultimate goal, obviously, is to try and establish some sort of social network for these young people as they transform into adulthood or try to make that leap Um, because what we've seen um, over the years, over the last 40 years and across countries is that children who are coming out of the system who haven't had um, that strong connection with family and stability in their childhood, they really, the outcomes aren't, aren't good. Um, so, you know, 60%, these are Ontario figures, 60% end up homeless, you know, 56% are dropping out of school. They suffer two times the rate of PTSD um, that war veterans do. And so the film is really about this program that's trying to improve the lives of young people who are in this situation. The, P- the PTSD stat is, is astounding, and I know that, that that kind of comes out in the in the film in a really clear and... and, and um, um defined way near the end which i really do want to talk about as as that that sort of that reveal of not just about that but about our our past and, and residential schools and so on and it just seems to be something that creeps up in, in in so many so many places can can you you know what's what i love about documentaries nadine is they're they're about this on the surface and then they're about all these other things <laughs> once you start to peel back the layers is i mean it's really quite remarkable about this kind of storytelling and so uh, you know you've got comments on on community and about uh, about addiction and about family and about, about finding our way home and 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 about memory you know and 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 uh, are are some things better left unsaid i mean there's just so many questions that we could ask about uh, uh, about the film and about some of the things that, that 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 you found out as you were you know digging deeper, what what would you say? 
I don't know, what, what drew you into the project in, into the first place? I mean, it, was it a question? Was it a specific question? Was it an experience, somebody you met? It was, I mean, I've done over the course of my career a lot of films that have focused on children. Um, I did a film earlier, actually it was my first feature film about a woman who was um, losing her fourth child to the children's aid services here and she had an addiction issue that she was dealing with and so I was filming with her over the course of two years that she tried to get her child back. I did another film about um, a youth, a 14-year-old in the United States who was convicted of armed robbery and sentenced to life without parole in prison. 15 to Life um, was the name of that film. So I, I think I'm attracted to stories about young people because I guess hmm. because I see them as so vulnerable hmm. um, and really what a disservice we do to young people as a society when we don't have the support in place to help families because really it's families that that raise children you know it takes a village but that family is the core and so I just found myself over the course of my career, over the last 20 years, these issues kept coming back. Um, and so I, I don't know if I look for them or they find right. me. In this in this particular case, uh, the program that RAST runs in St. Catharines, I actually came into contact with the ED of that nonprofit because I was working on another film about social impact. So that's how I found this specific program. But the youth... Um, that we filmed with Taylor and Jacob, who are the central subjects of the film. Uh, you know, they really, they they touch my heart. They speak to me. It's it's so. interesting at one point early on in the film, I, I think it's Jacob, um, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about, more about his situation and so on and, and looking for, well, for his family, really, but his father, I suppose, spe- specifically, um, you know, he he says, you know, oh, fam, but I think direct quote, family is so important. Mhm, mhm. And you know, the kids who haven't had that um, growing up, I think they know that more mm. than anyone. And so, uh, it's so central to who he is, and the questions that he wanted answered. You know, he hadn't seen his father since he was six or seven years old. Um, and, you know, he had a difficult relationship with his mother, which is why he couldn't stay there. He had lived with relatives for a period of time in his youth um, and then ended up in the shelter system, had a brush, a brush up with the law, um, you know, had dropped out. All of, the, all of the statistics that we talked about earlier were reflected in, in Jacob's experience. And so for him, um, you know, finding out why his father had left and why he didn't have a relationship with him. He wanted to understand that for for himself. I mean, he had heard stories while he was growing up from different relatives, but he didn't really have a knowing, um, you know, firsthand knowledge of what had happened. You know, and so I think for him, yeah, finding his father was important. Yeah, and, and there's so many, again, so many questions just around that notion alone. I, I My heart went out to him, and I mean, to the, to so many people in the film, really, uh, you know, pretty young dad myself, and uh, well, not that young, I suppose. <laughs> my 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 hairline gives me away, Nadine. Let's just let's just put it that way. But but you know, uh, he has that hockey card memory 
of, of his father and and I have I kind of have a hockey card memory too <laughs> living in Montreal many years ago early 70s and waking up in the morning my dad had been away and waking up and and I can see it I mean I can I can taste the gum you know the pack of cards mm-hmm. on the table and and so one of the things as a dad that I've really tried to do is to, to, to you know to to intentionally try to create wonderful memories if, if that makes any sense at all not contrived but but you know try to try to actually focus on that idea because i found them so important to me and i was just so struck by by jacob and 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 sort of i guess that loss of memory because he doesn't have those experiences with his with his dad and and and, and refers yeah. back to this one clearly joyful memory that he's got over over some hockey cards Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's memory is so much about who we are, you know, so much about how we interpret the world and how we think about ourselves um, and how we function is has everything to do with memory. And so, yeah, I mean, imagine if you had one memory that you could draw on from your father. Um, so it was amazing that this program was actually able to track him down, you know, and not only his father, but Jacob found his. Um, biological grandmother you know his father's mother because his father had been in care and as it turns out his grandmother had also Mm. been in care and then his great-grandmother in residential school so you see that whole historical line and how it is fractured family over generations um, that I think obviously you know the the youth who are involved in this program at Raft are not always ending up with fairy tale endings. Right, of course not. Uh, a lot of the information that Jacob learned um, was difficult uh, to digest and, and for him to comprehend and accept. Um, but that's one of the reasons that Raft helps these young people through the process. So it's not only finding uh, the relatives, but it's also you know, helping to um, navigate that new relationship. And uh, one of the things that Jackie Winger, who was the raft worker who was working with Jacob, said to me was, um, you know, if if we're not there, they're looking anyway. Mm. And so a lot of times, you know, young people will make these connections without having any support. Um, and so for that reason, the program that RAFT offers with all of these other supports with regard to counseling and housing and and um, getting back into school, I mean, having that around them is important when they're going through this process. And it was for Jacob because some of the things he discovered were difficult. You know, it's interesting, and, and uh, in, in Taylor's case, because you follow these two these two young people and their stories and, and sort of how they tease out, and like you say, they, not, not everyone is going to end in, 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 uh, uh, in a fairy, <laughs> fairy tale ending far, far from it, but I think early on in the film, she talks about um, somebody accepting her for, for who she is. And I mean, isn't isn't this part of the role of of a family, or at least isn't this the hope so uh, part of a role of a family of a mother and a father and of of, of you know and a family and friends, and, and 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 Amanda I think sort of echoes that later when she says you know she just she just needs some people that she can rely on, and I couldn't help but think of this sense of brokenness and 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 just I guess sadness and. I don't want to say emptiness because that almost sounds too judgmental, but but 
mm-hmm. this desire, this longing for something else and something other. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. <laughs> We're human beings. We desire connection, you know. And in, in spending the year that I did with Taylor, I, I... I I don't think I've seen anybody so isolated, mm. you know. And the writing that she does, that she spoke about um, in the film, you know, this uh, sort of group writing that she does online is very important to her because that's her connection. Um, but she doesn't go to school, you know, she doesn't work. Uh, she had Amanda as her worker, um, but her relationship with her mother and she had two a stepbrother and a stepsister it's so broken that um, she just doesn't have that unconditional love that many of us associate with family and so I found I found Taylor's story um, exceptionally difficult for that reason what what about where do, where does responsibility where did or where does responsibility come in into this for you? I mean, did you ever, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, you know, uh, I don't know, drive home from from a day and 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 say, but man, who who, I want to wring somebody's neck, you know, like so how did this happen? How did we wind up here? You know, I mean, it's never it seems to me it's rarely rarely black and white. In, in, in with family dynamics and we've all got a story of a particular sort but did, did you ever feel that sense absolutely and oftentimes it was hard sorting through I mean because everybody has their um, memories or version of history right. that they cling to and trying to figure out you know who was um, I don't want to say telling the truth but who's who to believe or who to who to understand so I mean that's what I try to bring to my filmmaking and every time that I speak to someone everybody has their own truth and their own experience and so I did um, also meet with Taylor's mother you know and tried to understand where she was coming from and in the course of filming as we were looking for Taylor's father we found out that Taylor's mother had actually been in a shelter herself when she was pregnant with Taylor and that she had been involved in child services herself and so it was interesting the parallels in Taylor and Jacob's stories in that both of their parents um, had been themselves involved uh, with child welfare services so it's when you ask about how does this happen, and I, I don't tend to lay blame right. because I don't think there's ever one person that's responsible for something. And this is, you know, when you do these films about um, social issues and social justice, you start to realize how important the entire community is mm. to the success of individuals. And so just seeing what their parents had been through you start to understand um, you know how complex these relationships are and what we really have to be paying attention to when we're talking about child welfare because we're really talking about family welfare do you do you think it, can you say because of this sort of uh, uh, it's interesting isn't isn't one of the opening or the opening line of the film uh, one of the RAF workers talking 
talking about herself as a as a private investigator. I think, yeah, yeah, I think there's a, there's That's yeah, Jackie, yeah, and yeah. I'm old enough and to remember Jim Rockford from the Rockford Files way back. It's one of, one of, one of my fave shows as a kid growing up. Um, you know, finding out all this information, peeling back these layers, is there ever a sense that maybe uh, I don't know uh, this that uh, would have been better not to bring this stuff to the surface? You know, I mean that that old school. Maybe it's not so old school, but let, let's just sweep this under the carpet and 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 you know, it, it'll be better that way. Mm-hmm. Well, some people do choose mm-hmm. to deal with these things that way, and it works for them. You know, um, one of the things about Jacob and Taylor, the program Raft, it's 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 initiated and led by the youth. So the program is available, and if um, I, someone in the shelter, so they've all been at the Raft shelter, right. that's how they find out about the program. If they want to find a biological family member, or if they want to reconnect someone um, that's a distant in their history, then they initiate the process. So it's not that the search was bringing these things to the surface because they were already at the surface. And and Taylor says at the beginning of the film that she had tried to right. look for her father. You know, so these things, um, they're, they're there and they're present. And some people do need to find answers. And you know, talking to Jackie and Amanda, a lot of the youth that they deal with are looking for these answers. But, you know, if someone decides that they don't need to know that um, and their life is okay as right. it is and they feel that they can move, they right, can move right. forward, there's no, there's no reason to dredge up the past. But, I mean, I think for the youth that get involved in this program and certainly the, the ones that are in Next of Kin, um, things aren't going so well and so they're they're looking for answers. yeah i definitely you know nadine i definitely come from the school of thought that says no no we need to talk about this like i i need to know right and there's gonna there's healing in that and yet some might argue and i think this is you know when you when you talk about things like transgenerational trauma and ptsd and i've even you know been doing some research lately on epigenetic trauma uh and so you know some there are some folks who say you know there's you know what right do you have to 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 stir that up you know and yet i'd like to think the truth is you know the truth will set you free you know what i mean uh um but but like you say if if if, you know we don't we don't know unless we walk a mile in somebody else's shoes how can we really know Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm i mean there were there were Two other young people that um, I was filming with that we didn't end up including Hmm. in the film because they decided, you know, partway through the process that they didn't want to partake anymore. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just what, just getting too hard or just too too close, too too emotional? It was a very complicated story. It was a brother and sister um, who had been in care when they were two years old, uh, were adopted, and then... Um, the sister was molested mm. by the adoptive father. Um, the adoptive parents split up, and the young boy ended up going back into care and spent many years in group homes. And so he decided that he wanted to find his biological parents, um, but unfortunately, and this ostracized him from the adoptive family that right. he had. 
Now, you might think he was already ostracized because of what had happened, but both children maintained a connection mm. with the adoptive father. Um, so it was a very difficult... They did find their biological father, um, but it caused a lot of strain uh, between the adoptive mm. and the biological, and so that put incredible pressure on the young man. So um, he asked not to be... Well, he decided not to go further with the family finding program, and he asked not to be in the right. film, and so we respected that. So I always... <laughs> What, what do you come away from? A, uh, you spent a year uh, with Taylor. How, how long were you alongside of Jacob's story? Same, same, same amount year. of time. We started filming with both of them at the same So what, time. what do you come away with? You know, obviously you're, you're hoping your viewer comes away with certain things and, you know, you're taking us on a journey and you want us to ask new questions and so on. And I have to tell you, I mean, it, it, it worked for me. I mean, standing there at that one scene and I'm, I'm assuming it was Bathurst and King Street, somewhere around that area where Deborah's watching her son from a distance. I mean, it's heartbreaking to watch. To, to imagine that that history that the, all the things that she didn't it wasn't able to experience and must have been experiences at that moment it's just it's yeah heartbreaking as a dad um yeah what what do you what do you take away uh from from this nadine the importance of family mm. and how important how important permanence is you know stability when young people are growing up um mm. And that separating children mm. from their biological parents isn't necessarily the best way to improve their lives. And that if we have a system where, I mean, if you think about the power that the child welfare system has to come in and take a child out of their home, I mean, they don't even have to prove anything in a court. If they suspect that the child is in danger, they can remove that child. And while we understand the necessity of that, you know, if a child's life is in danger, it's still a tremendous amount of power. And so you would think that if we allow that as a society, we have an incredible responsibility to make sure that when we remove that child, that their life improves. And mm. what we've seen from the statistics is that we're not doing mm. that. And in fact, the results are horrible you know when you're talking about 60% homeless or 56% dropping out the involvement in the criminal justice system it's it's terrible and so we ha I'm not saying there's an easy answer right. but we have to pay more attention to what we're doing we have to make sure that when we intervene in a family that needs help that we do something that's in the interest of the child and the parents it's you know it's interesting um, you know it's I, I work in development and my listeners will know this already but you know you're writing a proposal to um, you know let's say work on water and sanitation issues in some community in Myanmar this is not about paper this is not about administration or bureaucracy or global affairs I mean it's all of those things but this is really about families men women boys and girls that are going to be impacted right by this and and I think that's what I'm hearing from you you know let's not 
let's not detach that human component. We, I love I love your phrase of of how important permanence is and, and this this incredible responsibility we have if we're going to do something like that. This is an incredibly um, um, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just it's it's deeply relational. It's never just bureaucratic, right? It's never just the right mm-hmm. thing to do. It's way more than that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Since making this film, I met somebody who had two foster children Hmm. um, in a program that was a foster to adopt program. So child services had decided that it was very unlikely that the biological parent was going to be able to um, reclaim custody of the kids. And so they're in a foster to adopt program. Well, they had these children for over a year and then they got a call on Friday saying that the kids were being returned to their biological mother Mm. on the Monday. Mm. Yeah, so they were devastated. But what happened was the kids went back to their mother and then the mother and the foster parents developed a relationship. Mm. And so they're co-parenting these two children. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's six years on now. And the children go back and forth between the houses. And the biological mother, and the biological mother, you know, she had her issues, but she's since remarried. You know, she has three children of her own, including these two. And then her partner um, has three of his own children. And so, you know, they appreciate the break. To be able right. to have the kids go and sure. stay somewhere sure. else yeah. for a weekend or every other weekend, and uh, and the parents who were fostering to adopt have their children hmm. that they were looking for, and the kids have, you know, two sets of parents that really love them. Interesting, interesting. Well, case study, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just there's there's other ways right. to look at you know the child welfare system and clearly the way we've been doing it is not working um so we have to start looking at other well other it's got models. more of a community feel to it that family <laughs> right yes right? yes the circle yes, the circle's do. growing at mm-hmm. what point uh how did you know that this film was going to be about um you know about resident the residential school system you know you 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 touch on uh, the the PTSD the trend you don't I don't know that you guys talk actually talk about transgenerational trauma but it's certainly it's certainly there um, was that yeah. was that present for you going in or or was that more of a reveal along the way I would say the extent of it the fact that it was over you know four no three generations mm-hmm. um, of children being in care that was surprising. Although early on, Jackie went to consult with uh, an Indigenous cultural advisor, Elaine Berwald, in the film, um, to talk about trying to find Jacob's Mm -hmm. father because, you know, there was some indication on his birth records uh, that they got from CAS that he had um, Indigenous background. And so, I mean, Elaine alluded to very early on that it was likely um, there was a residential school trauma in the family um, and that it would be difficult to find any records because most of the records, as she said, are whited out. You know, that these children, when they were taken from their families in the 60s scoop, often their 
you know, their heritage was um, disguised. You know, on, on Jacob's father's birth certificate, there were five different cultural heritages. It was, it was purposely um, obfuscated. Mm-hmm. So we had an idea. Um, certainly sure. Elaine let us know what we, what we could expect, um, but I was astounded uh, when sure. we found out, you know, where Jacob's right. story led, I was astounded. Can you talk a little bit about the 60s scoop? Um, I, I, it's, I, I, I was, I mean, I can, you know, as I dig a little bit deeper, I was, I was recently at a, an event and talking to a few uh, First Nations folk just about a little bit about everything and, uh, you know, truth and reconciliation and commission and, 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 and all of the implications and all that I didn't know. And I guess in my own way, you know, trying to say sorry and, and, um, um, but the sixty scoop is is something I didn't know very much about at all until I until I saw your film. I, I guess I've I've heard reference to it before, but it's it's kind. Mm-hmm. Of, you 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 read this stuff, Nadine, and you just go, really? Did that actually happen? Did we really go there? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I, in the simple, I, the sixty scoop is. Uh, part of the cultural genocide mm. that's taken place in this country. And so after the residential schools, um, the 60s scoop started in the 60s with government and churches taking Indigenous children from their families and placing them in the child welfare system. Um, and what we were talking about earlier about giving them new identities, new mm-hmm. heritages, you know, writing new birth certificates um, to really make it well, to really to try to change their um, indigenous heritage, as, as they said with the residential schools, to take the Indian out of the child. And so they call it the 60s scoop, but it went on until the until 80s. Until the 80s. About, uh, I think it was about 20,000 about 20, children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact number, but it was um, significant. And um, and now the government is looking at uh, reparations right. for that. Well, and I yeah, yeah, it's interesting to me to presuppose that you could ever really do anything that would really repair the damage that that that's been done is is kind of kind of an interesting um, position to take. It seems to me. The, I think one of the things for me that your film really reveals is just the impact of those. You know, and I think that's where I was going with that responsibility question. You know, I'm not interested in blame, but. I am interested in the choices that I'm going to make tomorrow, and hopefully they're going to be maybe just a little bit better than the ones I made today, if you know what I mean. And well, Deborah, Deborah, Michael's father, so Jacob's father, Deborah. Um, sorry, Jacob's father's mother, right, Deborah. Yes. Um, who found who found her son on the street after 40 mm. years was taken in the 60s scoop, and she said to me, "You know, the money." Right. It's not gonna. It's not gonna repair this. It's not going to fix this. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't want right. the assistance, or the assistance couldn't be put to some right. use. Yep. But in no way is it going to rectify this situation. I mean, I was reading some statistics the other day. People often talk about the overrepresentation of African Americans in the judicial system in the United States. Well, the overrepresentation of Indigenous people in our criminal justice system here in Canada is much higher 
than in the United States. I think in some provinces, it's as much as 10 times higher. Yeah. If you look at, you know, the population, indigenous population versus um, the rest of Canada and their representation in the jails. So we've got a serious problem in this country, and it can all be traced back to these programs, the residential schools, the 60s scoop. It it, it yeah. really is mind boggling, and 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 you know to say that we're scratching the surface is uh, is is um, an understatement at best. Uh, Nadine, as I suspected, our our conversation was going to have to wrap up uh, sooner than I had hoped, and so I often will ask my guests to to come back for part two, and and I hope I hope we can do that, and and maybe maybe we can we can just sort of wrap up here a little bit because I think there's a direct connection from what Little you've told me uh, offline about your next film or your new film, The, the Invisible Heart. Can, can, can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe some of the, or what maybe some of those connections might be? Sure. Well, the connection is actually, so The Invisible Heart is about um, something called social impact bonds, which is a new way of financing social programs. Uh, controversial and Controversial in the sense that it asks private investors to invest in programs for homeless people or foster kids or um, people who are uh, at risk of entering jail. And if that program is successful, then the government repays the Mm. private investor plus a profit, so a return on their investment. And so there's all sorts of questions about what sort of incentives does that create when you start paying people a profit for helping the most vulnerable in our society. So that's the question that The Invisible Heart asks. But the the connection between the two films is, while I was making The Invisible Heart, that's how I met uh, the executive director at RAFT, the mm-hmm. program that runs the Family Finding Service. So Mike Lesby, um, is his name, was at the time developing a social impact bond and hoping to be one of the first to launch here in Ontario. Um, and they had a program specifically around youth homelessness, uh, trying to prevent youths at risk of becoming homeless. Um, so it was uh, it was an interesting, innovative program that they'd done some piloting with in the St. Catharines area, and he wanted to expand it to Hamilton and um, another area. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but another another jurisdiction close close by. So that's. That's how I found out about uh, Family Finders was through making the Invisible Heart, which will be on TVO um, January twenty second. Well, you've uh, you've been busy. I've been busy, <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm taking a little oh, break good. now. Good, uh, glad to hear it. And and of course, uh, your your uh, uh, this film next of kin is is playing on. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna get this right. CBC Docs POV. And uh, if you go to cbc.ca, you can you can find it. They're going to be there for it. I was going to say in perpetuity, Nadine, but it's about four to six years, isn't it? But the goal is to hopefully wa- watch it sooner than that. It'll be there for six years, but yes, watch it. Watch it now if you can, and you can share the link. Um, it'll be there. It's it's 44 minutes well spent. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks so much for your time today. We've been talking with Nadine Pequeniza about her, her new film, uh, Next Kin. Uh, make sure you uh, check it out online. Nadine, th- thanks a lot for your time today. I re- really do appreciate it. Thanks, David. I enjoyed talking with you. Thanks very much.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.